Bezalel and Ahoyeliab and every craftsman in who the Lord had put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Ahoyeliab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose hearts stirred, whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And Father, we ask that you would stir our hearts towards your work. You're doing a good work on this earth. You're doing a short work on this earth. And Lord, we want to participate. We want to be involved in what you're doing to save people on this planet. Lord, we pray that you would help us to catch your vision for what you want to do. Lord, you've restored us for this purpose. Lord, that we might know you and that we might be sent out by you. That we might know you and that we might build one another up. So, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us what this looks like and where we would learn what we can learn from what you did with your people in Exodus. Please, Lord, meet us here, we pray. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Everyone who agreed says. So we're finishing this book, the book of Exodus. I don't know how long it's taken us. I think a little bit less than a year. But we're finishing the book of Exodus. And it's good for us to remember that what we see in Exodus and we see throughout the scriptures is that God has always desired and has promised to dwell in the midst of his people. God wants to be in the midst of his people. The reason our triune God, our three-in-one God, decided to create the universe and specifically the earth and specifically the Garden of Eden is because that was the place where God would meet with his people. And so you know the story of what happens, of course, this perfect paradise where God, uh, where Adam and Eve have all that they need. They have direction from God. And most importantly, they have the presence of God. When they sinned against that, injecting sin into the world, thank you, Adam and Eve, for giving us our sin nature. When they did this, though, right away, God initiates a plan that he's had for eternity past to make sure that they could be right with him again. And eventually what we see happening is, is, is here we get to Exodus when God calls his people and had grown his people from just 75 to several hundred thousand, maybe millions. He brings them out of Egypt in a, in a, in a supernatural way. He redeems them from slavery. And he begins to give them instructions of how he's going to be their people. Or, he, or he's going to be their God and they're going to be his people. And how he will dwell in their midst. He begins to give them some instruction. And if you remember, when we went through chapters 25 through 31, we saw Moses on the mountaintop receiving all this instruction from God about what that tabernacle would be, what that dwelling place would look like. And you remember what happened. Moses receives all this, all this information. He gets all these commands, this vision from God directly about what that dwelling place would look like. And as he's on the mountain, what happens? They're down. The Israelites are down in the valley, and they're deciding they're going to make a god with their hands instead. And God sends them down. And God rightly says, they've broken my covenant. And God stirs up Moses to intercede so that God provides a way that they can be restored. Israel can be restored back to him. And we've been looking at that in chapters 32, 33, and 34. 
how God restores his people back to himself. This is always God's plan. God knew that his people would fail. God knew his people would, would, would turn their back on him. And God always pr- uh, had planned a way to, to bring them back to himself. So he brings them back to himself. And now he's going to get, he's going to call the congregation to actually begin to implement this plan of building this tabernacle. Now, we're going to see that that, that so much of what's said in these chapters is is simply just, chapters 25 to 31 where God's saying, and the tabernacle should be built like this, and this piece of furniture should be built like this. It's it's really just kind of almost repeating that word for word. Now, so-and-so built this just like this, which is why we're not going to read through all that. But it's important for us to know that God's doing something here. That God is, is, is doing something with Israel. He's wanting them to understand. And Moses writes it down like this so that we understand what God does, how God uses his people to build his dwelling place. In fact, this looks forward. Listen, this kind of looks forward to what God will do through his son Jesus in the church. Listen to this. What the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, listen. So then, Paul writes, you are the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Jesus, you are being built together, notice, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what we see God doing in Exodus looks forward to what God's doing now in us. Do you notice too in Ephesians how it says, it says that you are, he's saying, Paul says, you are the household of faith. You have a position. And you are being built into a place for dwelling. This has always been God's pattern. He restores his people, right? He restored Israel in Exodus, he says, you are my people. I will, Moses, heed your prayers, and I will keep my commitment to this people. You are my people. Now, let's build the tabernacle together. You go from position to practical. This is what we're going to see today. So so even though we're not going to look at most of the verses in the last six chapters, we are going to see three ways that God involves his people in building his dwelling place. And hopefully we're going to see why he does this as well. So the first thing is this, looking at verses, uh, chapter 35, verse 1, through chapter 36, verse 7. Again, we won't look at every verse. But we want to see here how God's people must be mobilized. They have to be prepared for action. First way Moses mobilizes his people, we see, is that they're called to rest in faithful obedience. Look at verse 1 of chapter 35. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work you will, shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in your dwelling place on the Sabbath day. Wow. Isn't this interesting? God's going to assemble the congregation to get to work in building his dwelling place, to building the tabernacle where he wants to dwell. And the first thing he says, he commands is rest. Don't forget, uh, even on the Sabbath, no building a tabernacle. You rest. It's one of the reasons why we shouldn't see, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why we shouldn't see Sunday as the Sabbath. It's not the same thing. Jesus is our Sabbath. Sunday is the time we gather together. 
that Jesus is inside. But what, what God's doing here is he's saying, listen, he, he's wanting to remind them, listen, the Sabbath, this taking one day in seven to rest and to worship, the Sabbath identified Israel as those who trusted their creator God and their redeemer God, that God is both for them. And because God has, has created them and God set this pattern through creation, six days of working, seventh day resting, that they should, they should exemplify that by, by faith, taking this one day and seven off, but also because he's redeemed them. He's bought them back. He's brought them out of slavery. They should rest in that. They should rest in the God who made them and the God who redeemed them will be the God who provides for them. They don't need to be manically working on that Sabbath day. This is part of their, their identity. The, the point is, is that God worked so they could rest, not the other way around. God didn't rest so they could start working from now on. God worked so they could rest. And this is the pattern we need to see. If your idea of being a Jesus follower, of being a Christian, of being a religious person is work and then I'll get rest at the end. If that's your idea, you're getting the gospel wrong. Because what the Bible teaches is it's God who does the work in us. He wants us to trust what he's done in Jesus and is doing by his spirit. And all work flows from that. Now, what about this command, though? Whoever does any work shall be put to death. That's a bit harsh. It might seem harsh, but God knows how tempted we are to not trust in the rest he provides. And when we don't trust in the rest he provides, we bring death to ourselves. That's what we need to understand. So in these first verses, we see God, the way that God's people are mobilized is to be called to a rest, to rest in him in faithful obedience. Now drop down to verse 4. Of chapter 35. Moses says to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. And he names the kinds of things that he's looking to be contributed. Now, what we're going to see here is part of mobilizing God's people is, is to see them, is to cause them to be motivated to have generous hearts. Now, follow me this, because every time this stuff comes up in Scripture, everyone's going, oh, no, he's going to take an offering. He's going to talk about giving. That's not what we're going to do. We're just going to be clear about the heart that God wants to develop. Listen, drop down now to verse, uh, to verse 20 uh, of chapter 35. God's not looking just for a provision. He's looking to test or provoke our hearts. Look at verse 20. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses after they got this command, and they came, everyone, notice, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him, and they brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of the meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets and all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicated an offering of gold to the Lord and every one who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linens or goat's hair or tan ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution and everyone who possessed acacia wood for any use in the work brought it. Do you, do you see the point Moses is making when he writes this stuff down? The point is, 
when God mobilizes his people, here's what happens. Every heart learns to be generous. Every heart. If you think about giving, and I'm not talking about giving to just the church, though there's a biblical reason to give to the church. But if your idea of giving or being generous is like, here we go again. And it's off-putting to you. If, if you're saying, God, save all of me, but I'll keep my wallet for myself. If that's where your heart is, in all seriousness, you need to wonder, is God, what's God done in my heart? Or why is my heart hard? I, I know people hate to hear this. And, and if you've been to servants for a while, you know, we never talk about money. We don't talk about what comes in the text. And we're not going to take an offering. This is not like uh, uh, beating you guys to tithe. This is, about, this is about what God was doing here with his people of Israel. What's God doing here with his people at Servants Church? Are we moved? Do we have a heart that says, God, you've been generous to me. I want to be generous to others. In fact, if you drop down to verse, uh, chapter 36, verse 3, look at what happens. And they received from Moses all the contribution that, uh, that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work. That's the craftsmen that received this. They, kept bringing, uh, they still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. So that all the craftsmen were doing every sort of task on the, sanctuary, uh, on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and a word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do any more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for material that they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Can I just say that's not our problem? But, I mean, it's just mind-blowing. I have to say, I've, I've, been a, I've been a Christian since 1987. I've been in ministry since 1991. I've only seen one place where this was true. Only one church. Sort of the mother church of the, of the churches that we originally planted from. Uh, there was a season where I knew guys who worked for this church. And, and they, they, they had zero debt, though they owned numerous properties. They never, talk about, we don't talk about money. They never, if, if Chuck Smith, who was the pastor there, would have come to this text, he would have kind of glossed over it. Never did they talk about money. They had people, listen, they had so much money going on. They, did, they didn't say don't give, but they had so much money come in. They would, they, they seriously had seasons where they wouldn't even put the boxes in the back out. You had to work to find out how you'd give. They had a waiting list for people to serve in children's ministry. A waiting list. I know it's comical. But listen, here, here's the point. Here's the point. The point is, when God moves, when our generous God moves on our hearts, listen, he makes our hearts generous, and generous hearts always bring more than enough. Man, I'd love this to be our problem. <laughs> but the issue is, we need to see that, that, that if we're going to be building God's dwelling place, that we need to let God move our hearts to motivate us to give with generous hearts, willing hearts. Now, chapter 35, verse 10. I know we're flipping back and forth, but hopefully you see why. Chapter 35, verse 10. God says, let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all the Lord has commanded. Now drop down to verse 25 of, verse 30, of chapter 
35. Verse 25 says, And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what was had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twinned, uh, tw- uh, <laughs> twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them uh, to use their skill spun the goat's hair. This is interesting. It's interesting because what we see des- described here is basically one, these big hands, I mean, these big projects need many hands. Now, the project that we're referring to here is the building of the tabernacle. That's what's happening. They're going to build a physical, elaborate, ornate tent where God's going to dwell in his presence. Okay? That's what's going to happen. What we are building as Servants Church is not a building. We do own a building on the other side of the city, Hillcrest Chapel, that we referred to. Um, in fact, I forgot to announce beforehand, so I'll announce now, and everyone on the video will see this as well, that, that actually this, this Wednesday is not home groups. We have adoration service, and we feel like it's so important for us to, to really encourage you guys to be there that we have a sign-up in the back. If you need a lift or you can give a lift to Hillcrest for the adoration service, can you please sign up in the back? We want as many of us to be there as possible to seek God in prayer and worship. So I really encourage you guys to do that. So we own a building in Hillcrest, but, but what we're building is not a building. Yes, that costs money, and yes, we need money for those kinds of things, but that's not the point. What we're looking to build, what we're wanting to encourage you guys to use your resources, your, your, your treasure and your talent, your skills, as we see these women did, to use your resource, listen, to build one another up. That's what we're praying for. That you would catch a vision that you would be committed to utilize appropriate skills to see God's people built up. Because that's God's will. This is what he wants. In fact, go ahead and drop down to verse 30 of chapter 35. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called his name, uh, has called by name Bezalel and the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, he has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence and knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. Verse 34, and he has inspired him to teach both him and Ahoyliab, the son of, whatever that guy's name is, of the tribe of Dan. He filled him with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by uh, an embroiderer in purple and blue and purple and scarlet yarns and finely uh, twined linens or by a weaver by any sort of workman or skillful design. Do you see what he says here? God filled these men and women with his own spirit so that they could do what was needed to build up the dwelling place of God. Does that sound familiar? This is what God wants to do with us. You might go, oh, I don't have any skills. I don't have any abilities. I don't have any gifts. You just call God a liar when you say that. Because God created you with natural abilities that he wants to set apart for his purpose. And God endows you with supernatural abilities to do what needs to be done to fulfill his purposes. God doesn't put you in the church, capital C, doesn't put you into his people so you can be a spectator. He puts you into his people, he births you into his family so you can participate in his family. That's why he brings you in. That is normal Christianity what he calls us to. Now, now, we're talking about here that God's people must be 
mobilized. Moses, God used Moses to do this by calling, to, calling his people to, to rest in faithful obedience, motivating their hearts to give generously, calling them to commit, to utilize their appropriate skills. But we need to understand something. Nothing, nothing can motivate us to do God's work, God's way, except God's gospel. Nothing. No, you, you can be motivated to work other ways, but it won't be working doing God's work God's way. What motivates us to do to God's work of building one another up and to do it in God's way, by, by, for his glory, by his power, by his provision, the way that what motivates to do that is God's gospel. Again, Ephesians chapter 2, listen. What Paul writes earlier before he lays out that, that, that New Testament vision for us being a household of God that's being dwelt or being built together for a dwelling place for God. Here's what he says, listen. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. God did it. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no, man, no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Whose workmanship are we? Jesus' workmanship. The, the Greek word there is poema. I'm probably saying it wrong, but it means poem or work of art. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Who prepares the good works? God does. And what should we do? That we should walk in them. See, here's the reality. When we recognize that God saved us, though we don't deserve it, when we recognize that it's God's work that brings us into his family, we just receive it by faith. When we recognize that he brings us into his family because he's got works for us to be involved in that he has prepared for us, that he will empower us to walk in. When we recognize that, that's when we get mobilized. That's when we're prepared to actually do this. I wonder if God knew, well, I know he knew, but I wonder if God, God's purpose in this plan was to let Israel fall as a nation the way Adam and Eve fell as a couple so that he could restore them to say, listen, now, now, work because you're restored. Don't work to become restored. Do you understand what I'm saying? God's people must be mobilized if we're going to build the dwelling place together. But also we're going to see from chapter 36, verse 8, all the way to 39, verse 43, that God's word must be obeyed. Now, we're going to read phrases. So follow me. This, you ready to follow? We're going to read some phrases. Okay? Because what we need to understand is that these people obeyed God's word. Remember, God's word about the tabernacle was given to Moses, and Moses relays this to the people, and they paid attention to the details. Look at verse 38 of chapter 36. Actually, before that, sorry, before we get there, sorry. Notice in verse 8 first, chapter 36, verse 8, I apologize. I apologize. Notice what it says. And all the craftsmen among the workmen made the tabernacle a tin curtain. Pretty obvious. Now, if we were to read all this, which we will not, you're welcome. But if we were to read all this, what you'd see over and over again, it says, and he made, and he made, and he made. And it's probably a reference to uh, Bezalel, the fact that God had called him specifically by name, and gifted him the ability to, to train all the other craftsmen and how this needed to happen, okay? And so, so, so in a sense, it's kind of saying this is what they did. And here's what's interesting about this. When they're doing this, okay, 
that if you compare all these verses for basically uh, verse 30, uh, chapter 36 all the way through chapter 38, if you compare these verses to chapters 25 to 31, it's almost word for word the same, except for, like I said, that difference between God saying to Moses, you shall do this, and then it's saying here, and they did this. They're, they're, they're doing exactly what God called them to do. That's the point. Now, it's interesting because if you drop down now to verse 38, uh, uh, chapter 38, verse 21, actually, chapter 38, verse 21. Chapter 38, verse 21. Here's what we see in the midst of this. When it says over and over again, he also made the table of acacia wood or, or the lampstand or the incense altar or the burnt offering or the basin of bronze or the court, it would be the inner court. It says that over and over again, gives us the same detail that we had in chapter 25 and 31. Then it says in verse 21 this. Chapter 38, verse 21, it says, These are the records of the tabernacle, the tabernacle and the testimony, as they were recorded at the commandment of Moses, the responsibility of the Levites under the direction of Ithamar. Ooh, dynamic stuff. Put that verse in a, in a happy birthday card. <laughs> now, it seems boring and redundant, but it's radically important. Because if you were to continue on and read all the way through verse 31, here's what you'd see. Talking about paying attention to detail that Moses made sure that really strict records were kept about how much was given of what and what that material was used for. This is why we pay a secretary, a bookkeeper, to make sure that whatever resources we have are being uh, recorded well and utilized well. This is why we as elders slash trustees prayerfully think about how we should spend money. God, how do you want us to use this money to build up your people? Because we believe that attention to this kind of detail is pleasing to God. And we want to be obedient to that. We want to be, as Paul writes, I think in, in Romans, that we want to present honorable things in honorable ways. We want to do this. This is part of obedience. Paying attention to detail. This is also why, listen, we, don't, we try not to neglect what the scripture says in detail. I feel a little bit hypocritical about that because we're skipping chapters today. But you, you guys have been, if you've been here long, you know, we go through whole books of the Bible. Not because churches who don't do that are wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we want to say, God, what are you saying in detail? Because we want to follow you in detail. We want to obey your word. Now look at chapter 39, verse 1. From the blue and the purple and the scarlet yarns, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made holy garments for Aaron, and notice how it says, as the Lord has commanded Moses. Now this, this phrase is going to be used over and over again. In fact, drop down to verse 5. Look at the last verse, last phrase in verse 5. As the Lord has commanded Moses. Verse 7, last phrase, as the Lord has commanded Moses. Moses. Verse 21, last phrase, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 31, last phrase, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 32, thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent meeting was finished, and the people did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. You know what's happening here? They're recognizing that God had given commands through Moses. They are recognizing the Lord's authority. Now, we're going to start a series in March, uh, four Sunday series. We keep plugging this series. Called The God Who Speaks. Talking about 
this book. What we know about this book or this library, we'll see the first time in the first session. What we know about this assemble, assembly of books, what we know about it, we'll talk about why we, what we believe about it and why. We'll talk about how to utilize it. Why? Because we recognize that it's not the elders that have absolute authority in this church. It's not some pope in Rome that has absolutely authority in this church. Not some bishop in Canterbury that has absolutely authority in this church. It's this word of God. And so we want to recognize the authority. This is what these guys are doing. They recognize God spoke through Moses and said, this is what's going on. This is what God wants. There's a freedom in this, guys. There's a power that comes from this. Now look at verse 33 of chapter 39. It says, Then they, that's all these craftsmen, they brought the tabernacle to Moses. They obeyed God and did what God called them to do. And then when they had done what God called them to do, they said, okay, we've done what we're supposed to do. We're not going to do anything else. Thank you, God. This is, this is I, I really like this. Because they were not commanded by God to assemble the tabernacle, just to make all the components of it. They said when they did what they're supposed to do, they said, here you go, Moses. It's up to you. Enjoy. There's something here for us, I think. Because one of the things that happens to us, guys, is we... we we, we, we all of us have a desire for greatness. We have that. You can say you don't. You can tell me all day long. Well, not, I know it's a very British thing. So, oh, no, no, don't, don't put me on. But, but you do. We all have a desire for greatness. It's a God-given desire. Another way we could say it is significance. We want our life to have meaning. We want to feel like we've done something that was worth something. That, that, that's a God-given desire. But here's the, the deal. Jesus says the way to significance, the way to greatness is serving. And you serve as God commands, not how you want, not how you can bring yourself to whatever place you think you want to bring. We have these minds in our, these mindsets, we have these ideas of this is what will make me significant, but that's not what makes us significant. What makes us significant is we say, God, my life is yours. How do you want me to serve? And when God says, build the tabernacle like this, and then you've done that, you say, well, now what else? And there's your silence, you say, okay, well, I'm just going to submit to you. I'll just leave it with you. I'm, I'm content to serve as you want me to serve. You know how you can tell? You know how you can tell whether or not you're being a servant? You can tell whether or not you're being a servant by how you respond when people treat you like this. When people say to you, hey, can you do this for me, please? Hey, your job is to do this. When they treat you like a servant, and you're like, whoosh, who are you? And you're thinking, who are you to tell me that? Oh, who are you to expect this of me? You're probably not being a servant, but you know you should be. But when people treat you like a servant, and you're like, yeah, no problem. I'll take care of that. Or I wish I could. I just don't have what it takes to be honest about that. With humility, you say, I don't know if I can do this. When you're treated like a servant and you take that, God says, Jesus says, that's great. That's great. Now, what happens here, though, if you drop down to verse 42, is something really cool. In verse 42, chapter 39, it says, According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, that, it, that they had done it, as the Lord commanded, so they had done it. It says, then Moses blessed them. Now, that sounds kind of familiar. It's because it's actually an echo of creation. God makes creation seven in six days, right? And it says that God saw it, and he says it was what? 
very good. And he blessed the seventh day. This is important. This is the kind of stuff that maybe we don't see automatically, but it's a, there's, there's an important, obvious parallel that Moses is, is putting in here as he records this. So thus as the readers, we read this and we realize, okay, when God created the heavens and the earth, and he creates the planet, and he creates the Garden of Eden as a place where he's going to dwell with the people that he's created. When he does that, that is the sanctuary. That is the tabernacle. That all gets destroyed. What God does, he, he rebuilds a new one, and he wants us to see here through Moses' words, it was there. God was committed. He, he was rebuilding this. That's the appropriate blessing. But also, listen, also, this is, is to remind us of the benefit of obedience. Obedience is one of those things that we're just, as modern Western Christians, we just, we just don't know what to do with it. Some of us, we hear obedience, and I'm talking to you guys who have been Christians for, <coughs> for a while, so those of you who are still kind of checking this stuff out, um, this might be a bit confusing, so I apologize, but if you have any questions, ask me after, all right? But for those of you who have been Christians for a while, and especially those of you who are from Western cultures and have been Christians for a while, you, you know this is the case. We look at obedience, and the first thing we think is legalism. I'm saved by grace, bro, not by obedience. That's sort of true. Because you realize the command to believe is indeed a command. If you don't obey it, you ain't saved. <laughs> so, so in one sense, our obedience saves us. We're not saved by our works. We just read that in Galatians. I'm sorry, in Ephesians. But we do are all called to obey. Obedience is not legalism. Or we think obedience, well, that's, that's a good thing. It's an option for super saints, the guys that are really serious about God. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? But here's the thing that we, I think we miss most of all, and we have to get this around our head, east or west, north or south, wherever you're from, however long you've been a Christian, or if you're still investigating Christianity, this is what you've got to get through your head about obedience. Obedience never adds anything to God. It does not benefit God at all. God doesn't want you to obey because he gets something out of it. Obedience benefits you. It's always for your benefit. It benefits you and it benefits others when you obey. Listen. Deuteronomy chapter 30, right? <coughs> Deuteronomy chapter 30. Moses says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, for I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. God says, choose life. Choose obedience. Seek to do what God says. If you find the Bible boring, it's probably partly because you're not willing to do what it says. Listen to what John writes in 1 John chapter 5. He says, by this we know we love the children of God. What's the first and great commandment? To love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second second, to love our neighbor as yourself. Here's how we know we love our neighbors. Here's how we know we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. This is not about earning salvation. We've already been clear about this, I hope. We can't earn our position with God. That's a free gift. 
We can't even earn staying in that position. That's also a free gift. It's God who keeps us. We're kept by the power of God through faith, Peter says. But he calls us to obedience because obedience is how, listen, obedience is how we are built up as a dwelling place of God. God's word must be obeyed. God's people must be mobilized. God's word must be obeyed. And here's the last thing we're going to see in chapter 40. We're almost done. Almost done today. Almost done with the book of Exodus. God's presence will be experienced. This is, again, a testimony throughout Scripture. Look at verse 1 of chapter 40. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month you shall erect the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. I love this, because what happens? We saw the craftsmen. They bring the, all the tent, all the furnishings, everything there, and they lay it at Moses' feet and say, Moses, we don't have any of the other commands. We're not sure what to do. And then God says to Moses, here's what happens. God sets the timing, and he sets the order, and he even sets the order of anointing. In fact, if you drop down to verse 9 of chapter 40, what does it say? Then you shall take the anointing out and anoint the tabernacle. And he lists how that's supposed to, the order is supposed to be anointed. So God says, here's, what I want, here's how I want the furniture placed. Here's how I want the tabernacle assembled. Here's when I want it to happen. In other words, God's presence will be experienced, listen, with an order that God commands. Spontaneity is not the measure of God's spirit working. It's not spontaneity. It's timeliness. It's orderliness. We're going to see this when we get into 1 Corinthians, that God moves in ways that some of you guys are going to be uncomfortable with, but it's really clearly scriptural. But here's what we read at the end of 1 Corinthians 14. It says, all things should be done decently and in order. There's an order to what God wants. Why? Because God wants himself to be seen. He wants himself to be seen. He wants himself to be shown and demonstrated. What you need and what I need is to see Jesus. And we see Jesus manifested as we say, God, we want to follow you and do things in your way. But also, listen, God's presence will be experienced through the obedience of God's chosen. What happens in verse 16? It says, this Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. You see that parallel to what we read about the craftsmen? They built as the Lord commanded. Now Moses assembles the Lord commanded. Here's what's interesting to me. The craftsmen were obedient, but their obedience can only take them so far. What they really, really needed if they're going to experience God's presence was the obedience of God's chosen vessel, Moses, his chosen mediator. This is good news for us. Because when we fail to build like we're, we're supposed to build, when we don't build up as God calls us to build up, our hope of God's presence that will empower us to, to, to rectify that and begin to build is the obedience of God's chosen mediator. Not Moses, Jesus. L listen to this, right? Like, like, like Jesus, Moses did what the Father wanted him to do. Like Jesus, Moses finishes the work that God sent him to do. Listen to what the Bible says about Jesus. Listen, so Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing of himself. <coughs> he does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. None of us can claim that kind of obedience. <coughs> and then when Jesus is hanging on the cross, 
and he knows that there's, there's, God's fulfilling his, his word, his promises, his prophetic word. John 19 tells us that he, he, he says, I thirst, because he wants to fulfill the, the, the psalm that says the Messiah will save us. And they put up a, a bit of sour wine that says when Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. When Jesus says it's finished, there are some Bible scholars who say that that phrase, it is finished, is just one word in the Greek, and it's a word that means it is finished. I'm not a Greek guy. I don't know for sure. But here's what I do know. Jesus did exactly what the Father called him to do, and it's his obedience that merits for us the presence of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe God wants to manifest himself in your life, and, he, and he's proven that because he's given us Jesus. Paul says in Romans 8, it's not going to be on the screen, but in Romans 8, I think it's 8 verse 32, he says, I'm going to have just increases this point, but he, he basically says, if God did not hold back his son, but delivered him freely up for us, how will he not with him give us all things? Why would God, the pure, holy, spotlessly good God want to live in sinners like us? Why would he want to make us his dwelling place? How can he make us his dwelling place? Well, he uses our obedience, but what merits that dwelling place is Christ's obedience. Jesus did this for us. Now, verse 34. Then the, then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses says it twice. See, this is not a statement against Moses. Like Moses, sorry, dude, you don't get the glory anymore. That's not the point. We see a similar thing happening when the temple is built hundreds of years later. And Solomon prays, and the scripture is super clear that God's pleased with Solomon's heart and, and shows that by pouring out his spirit, by, by descending in this pillar of fire in the, the temple as well. And the glory was so full, the priest had to stop ministering. This is not a picture of judgment against God's people. This, listen, this is a picture of God saying, I want all my people to know that I'm in their midst. This is not just for Moses to go and experience. I want all my people to know I'm in the midst. And remember, the tabernacle would be assembled in the middle of all the tents of Israel. Not on the outside as it was before. I want them all to know I'm in their midst. You know what this points to? It ultimately points forward, listen, to the world that we all want. Because this picture of God in the midst of his people is the picture that the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, speaks about that will one day be the ultimate and permanent reality. Listen to this. Revelation chapter 21 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne, that's God's throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death 
shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. It's God himself that makes heaven heavenly. And one day, all the hellish things that we bring to this planet and that we've brought upon ourselves and that overflow from us and the other people, one day all that hellishness is going to be gone. And all will be left is this God in his presence and us enjoying every good thing. And you know, I'll tell you what, it's not just pie in the sky playing sort of harps on, on clouds because it's heaven and earth coming together and earth being radically and completely redeemed and us enjoying every good thing because the good God is in our midst. That's what Exodus points to. That's what we're meant to point to. We want people to come in to this place and not say, what a great church. What a great service. We want them to say, what a great God. We want to know that God. Because that's the heaven that God's offering is himself. But there's even more. And I love this because it's not just about us waiting to get to heaven. But what God wants to do in us and through us right now. Because look at the way this ends. Look at verse 36. Therefore, or I'm sorry, not therefore. It says, throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from the, over the tabernacle, the people would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Notice that repeating phrase, throughout all their journeys. I wasn't going to talk about this, but I think it would be right for me to say this. I'm really excited about the potential of what's happening in Asbury in Kentucky. Not because of the, 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 the idea of what we have in our mind that we think revival should be, but by the testimonies of what's happening there. It's not about the place. It's not even about the manifestation. It's about people saying, God, we need you. And I say, Lord, do that here. But you know what else I'm excited about? I'm excited about what it reminds me of. That God's here. He's with us right now. He's with us right now. He's not forsaken his people. We want more of him. We want to know him more. The prophet Ezekiel said this, my dwelling place shall be with them. This is God speaking through Ezekiel. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my, my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel. Then my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. In one sense, this points forward to what we read in Revelation. But in another sense, this is about what they were meant to be. Israel was meant to be a witness. That they were meant to testify that of the God who's in their midst this is what we are meant to be. We're meant to be a testimony of the God who has saved us, a God who's changing us, a God who's going to bring us to that world we all want. Do you want that? God's presence will be experienced. Let's trust God in his work.
to be built up as God's dwelling place. Amen? Father, I pray that you would do this for us. Thank you, Lord, that we do see evidence of what you're already doing. And Lord, we just say we, we want more. We, we want to know you more. We want to want you more than we want all these other silly things that we think are going to satisfy or give us significance or bring us meaning. You do that for us. Would you satisfy us? Would you revive us? Would you teach us how to build one another up? We're sorry, Lord, that we don't love the way you do. We're sorry, Lord, that we give lip service to this and then don't do it. We're sorry for our disobedience. And we're sorry, Lord, for how slow we are to believe all that you say. And we pray, Father, that you would meet us here, that you would do for us what only you can do. And Father, I, I ask, Lord, for those that are still seeking, for those people that are still wrestling through what does it mean to be a Christian, we pray, Lord, that not only would you help them to understand that you would open their eyes to know you as you are. Please, Lord, show yourself to these people. And for those of us that do know you, Father, would you help us to be quick to confess and repent, to confess and forsake those things that compete for our affections and our hearts. Please, Lord. Lord, would you bring us together on Wednesday uh, to seek you together? Would you make yourself known to us, we pray. Thank you that, that we've been redeemed and bought out of slavery. Help us now to build a dwelling place for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. I expect Hillcrest to be full on Wednesday. Just saying. Uh, make sure you guys sign up if you can, especially if you can give a lift, because I know that it's awkward people need lifts. So if you need a lift or give a lift, please sign up in the back for adoration service. And uh, yeah, bless you. Hope to see you soon.